You're entering the MSP Zone, a podcast for the managed services community, covering news, analysis, and interviews from around the globe. Elevate your MSP game by staying in the MSP Zone. And now, your host, Charles Weaver. What's up, folks? Welcome to the MSP Zone. We cover everything related to managed services on planet Earth. Almost everything. Um, we've got a really fantastic program today. I could find the mixer knob. All right, there it is. There it is. Now we're in control. Whew. Got worried there for a minute. Okay. Uh, three topics as usual today. Uh, starting off with the SEC adopts a new cyber disclosure rule. Um, even if you don't have public companies, you're going to want to listen to this one. Um, we, we, we tackle some uh, reader, it's not fan mail, it's just a member mail. Uh, a member wrote in, had a question. I thought it was a fantastic question. It related to kind of branding and the whole MSP profession and where we're headed and where we've come from. And it was, it was kind of, a, kind of a, a, a nice but weird email out of the blue that I wasn't expecting and um, thought it was just too good of an opportunity to, to pass up. So we're going to talk about this uh, this email and that topic. And then finally mention um, a topic we've also touched on briefly in the past here related to master MSPs or, some, you know, you call them external service providers, you can call them supply chain vendors, strategic partners, whatever you call them. These are companies that have a very unique role to play in the managed services supply chain. And we're going to talk about some of their uh, unique attributes, qualities that put them in a very good position to be uh, an influencer, if you will, on the topic of certification, compliance, and standards. So that's our last topic. And um, let's jump right in with the SEC. So again, uh, the Securities and Exchange Commission, if you have not already heard about it, um, I think last week or the week before, um, announced a new rule um, that deals with cyber security, specifically cyber disclosure rules. Um, think of this as a kind of a, well, I'll get into what it means before, but it, it was a very long process that they had been leading up to. And I want to talk about it because even if you're not impacted meaning you're not directly concerned with or your customers aren't directly concerned with the United States Securities and Exchange Commission, the SEC, from here on after, um, you still should be aware of this. Why? Because it's a fairly big move at the U.S. federal level of where all the states and, quite frankly, our industry has been headed for a number of years now. So it's really good for you to be aware of it. Um, I know a lot of you out there uh, practicing MSPs are really um, uh, interested in, in staying in touch and, and keeping your education going on things related to compliance and, and, and certification and security and things like that. And this is going to be a really good uh, starting off uh, topic. So again, uh, I, I found this out from a uh, Forbes um, article and... I'm sure you could just Google SEC cyber disclosure rule and you'll find uh, a number of um, articles. 
I want to explain the rule, what it means, why the rule was created, the impact of the rule on MSPs and customers, and lastly, failure to comply. What will happen if you don't follow this rule? Um, and then I'll tie this all up in a nice little bow by saying, kind of giving you my opinion on what I think this means for the larger MSP community, even though it's not directly regulated by SEC. So for those of you who are not familiar with the Securities and Exchange Commission, um, they're basically the group, uh, the federal agency that oversees publicly held companies, the, the stock exchange, the NASDAQ, right, all those. It's like a governing administrative agency that's, you know, make sure that all these companies that are about to go public, co companies that have already gone public, are behaving appropriately across a number of areas. Not, I mean, very little of it, I think, is really cyber or tech specific. A lot of it's financial and just public policy, right? What, what the SEC does is make sure that public companies are behaving so that the, the average private investor, people like you and me who might have 401ks or individual retirement accounts or just own stock, you know, in any given public company are protected. And that's in, in some small part, they do other things as well. That's what the SEC does. Um, the SEC had for a while, and I don't want to go over the lengthy um, historical uh, background, but basically they had opened up a, a comment, a notice and comment period where they were saying, hey, we're thinking about doing this thing with a cyber disclosure rule. We want you, the public, to be aware of it, and would you give us some feedback? And that happened over a period of many, many months. And then finally this year, they said, all right, we're going to go forward and we're going to make this our rule. And essentially, here's what the rule says and what it means. Um, and I'm quoting here from the, from the Forbes article. According to the new rules, public companies will have to disclose a cybersecurity incident within four business days of determining that the incident is material. What does material mean, I wonder? That's my, my comment, not theirs. Um, no, they answer it. A material cybersecurity incident is one that is likely to have a significant impact on the company's business, financial condition, or operations. It's a fairly broad uh, definition, but nevertheless, that's their definition. Um, it's a four-day disclosure deadline, and the purpose why this rule was developed and ultimately um, made is that they want to make sure that investors have timely information about cybersecurity incidents that could impact their investment decisions. It seems pretty common sense. The SEC says we we want to have four days where if you have a cyber incident, you have up to four days to disclose it. If you go beyond that, that's going to be a material negative impact on investors. Investors obviously have a right to know whether the public companies that they're trying to invest in or actually own uh, shares in are being breached. You could see why that would be a material uh, thing to to know as an investor. Makes sense, right? Not, nothing too earth-shattering here. The new rules also require public companies to disclose information about the following aspects of a cybersecurity security incident, right? So once they've determined that it's a legitimate incident, that it's material, here are the things that they want to know. The nature of the incident. What happened? 
the impact of the incident on the company's business. Number three, the steps the company has taken to address the incident, remediation, forensics, recovery. I think, I think someone on an MSP podcast recently talked about something called cyber resilience, but I'll have to go dig into my notes to figure out where, who said that. The steps the company has taken to address the incident. And finally, the company's policies and procedures for managing cybersecurity risks. All right, did you get that? Nature of the incident, the impact of the incident, steps the company has taken to address the incident, the response, and the company's policies and procedures for managing cyber risks. Now, if you are, first of all, if you're an MSP, if you're a company that has an MSP Verify, this is not new. This is not earth shattering. This is, this is, I wouldn't say boring, but this is not a big deal to you because you're already used to this. Because if you are an MSP and you have MSP Verify, you've got this type of policy already in place. You've got controls that meet this requirement. Now, maybe it's not a four-day rule because maybe you have, maybe you live in a jurisdiction that doesn't have a four-day rule. Maybe it's a 72-hour rule. Maybe it's a, uh, a one-week rule. Maybe it's a, a one-day rule. There are many different rules and time frames for cyber disclosure incidents all over the world. The timing is not the relevancy. It's this specific listing of the things, the elements that, they, that the SEC wants to know about that should be looked at as further evidence that what we in the MSP profession have been doing for 20 years is right. Folks, what more do you need? This is... It's almost like they lifted from the MSP Verify standard the requirements and the elements of a cybersecurity response, detection, notification process. Now, I, I know, I know. I, we're not the only ones out there. I'm not saying that we're the only ones out there that have been doing this. I'm not saying that at all. But what I'm saying to you out there in the MSP land is that this type of stuff, when the SEC announces cybersecurity disclosure rules, it shouldn't come as a shock. And in fact, it should be expected. And in, in fact, what you should be looking at is any organization, any company that you do business with is headed towards this direction, whether they're a public company or not, right? Let's be clear. The SEC rule only deals with public companies, period. If you have a book of business that all they're doing is, all they are is privately held companies, they're not public, the SEC rules don't apply to you. But, but, what I'm also saying is, you don't have to be a magician or a, uh, someone who can predict the future in order to figure out that this is where we're all headed as a society. We've talked about so many times on this program about 
cybersecurity disclosure rules. We've talked about it in the state of Louisiana a lot. We've talked about all the 50 states who all 50 states in the United States have cybersecurity disclosure laws, something similar to this SEC rule. The Canadians have it. The Europeans have it. The Australians have it. The United Kingdom has it. Almost every major well-developed country or jurisdiction on the planet where you have a large group of MSPs operating, helping their customers, chances are very high that you're going to have some sort of regulatory or policy body that has set some sort of cyber disclosure rule in place. The issue that I would like to conclude this topic with is what happens if you don't comply? And the article does go into great detail about failure to comply because after all, we as MSPs are good stewards of our companies and you guys like to be very much in the know of what, what happens to your customers and what types of pressure that they're under. Well, this article for the public companies here in question um, are giving some very specific actions that will happen to the company. And uh, here's a hint. If it's going to happen to the company, you can bet it's going to happen to the company's service providers as well. Okay. Companies that fail to comply with the new cybersecurity disclosure rules could face a number of consequences, including SEC enforcement actions. Um, SEC enforcement actions. Uh, I'm I'm pretty sure that that would that could in, involve fines. I, I I'm almost positive the SEC has uh, fining capabilities, um, meaning that it doesn't have to go through a a court system. They have their own ability to issue fines to the companies, which could be significant. Um, so they they have a lot of power and they have a lot of autonomy that is kind of outside of the the U.S. legal system. They could. They could refer things if they were criminal. I'm not saying that that would be even relevant in the in any small minority of cases, but they could refer things, you know, if they were of a criminal nature. But SEC enforcement actions could be just a a, a fine that the SEC um, issues to the company and and maybe it's it's a uh, it's service providers, uh, investor lawsuits. Where have we heard lawsuits before? Private right of action sounds very familiar. Uh, oh yeah, GDPR, GDPR. Uh, where else have we seen it? More close to home in the United States. Where have we seen private right to action for data incidents? Uh, California, CCPA. Remember, remember, we talked about this. Investor lawsuits. Investor says. This data breach cost me a lot of money for my investment. I want to be compensated. They issue a lawsuit. Damage to the company's reputation goes without saying. Um, it's not new, folks. It's not new. No one should be shocked at this. Uh, this should have been very much expected. And you should continue to expect this from other areas, other professions, 
are undeniably heading in this type of direction, which is just, if you want to know why, what, how to describe this, it's just transparency. They just want to know. They just want to, they have a right to know. If you were an investor in a private company, wouldn't you want to know if there was a major cyber breach? Yeah, I would. I would kind of want to know that of federal government agencies who habitually lose a ton of data on behalf of citizens that they that they hold in their databases. That's a separate issue. Um, but private companies companies as well. And the the many, many risks that are inherent with cyber breaches, failure to report them, failure to adequately protect against them, and most importantly, back to the cyber resilience issue, inability to effectively recover from a cyber incident. Remember, not all cyber incidents are breaches. They're not all data loss situations. Um, and, and this rule doesn't necessarily get into those details, at least not that I've seen from the Forbes article. But I just wanted you all to be aware of it, that, that this is one more, a, a pretty big one, but one more example of the larger global community telling you undeniably which direction they're headed, which is greater, not less, transparency and understanding into the supply chain of IT that goes into any company on the planet. That's where we're headed. And you either look at that as crippling and something that you're never going to get beyond, in which case that's a pretty bleak future, or for those MSPs who are already doing it, and there's a lot of you who are, and kudos to you if you're one of those, you look at it as an opportunity, a big opportunity to help your customers in a way that they most customers can't help themselves in that way. The big companies, the public companies, they have no excuse. Everybody else, they got an MSP. Okay, on to the next topic. So back to this email. Uh, unsolicited, just out of the blue. I don't even know if I've talked to this person before. Um, and I'm not going to read you the email because the email goes into a fairly good amount of detail uh, into their practice, and I, and I want to be sensitive to their privacy concerns. Um, and I don't want to talk about the... I'm gonna I'm gonna try to relay the uh, the effect and the, the 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 context of the email without giving away too much of, uh, of the details. But basically, this is an MSP owner. It's a business owner here, and the business owner was responding to. I don't know what they were responding to. To be honest, I think it was just an unsolicited email, or maybe it was a a podcast episode that they had heard or watched. And it, it's basically about what we call ourselves, right? Managed services providers or MSPs and how commonplace, ubiquitous uh, that term has become. And and I've been talking a lot about cybersecurity consultants and those those that class of, of company coming into this market and creating, as I call it, a lot of negative confusion. Um, and so I think that that's what this this MSP business owner was was uh, emailing about. And this MSP mentions his RMM vendor. I'm not going to say who it is. 
And this RMM vendor has an expert, a marketing expert that recommends not referencing anything managed services on your website. So I don't know who this expert is. Maybe you do. Um, I, I, I legitimately don't know who, who this person is. Um, but the question is, is that, is that appropriate? Should we do it or should we not do it? Should, should I as an MSP hide the fact that I'm an MSP? Should I hide the fact that I'm delivering managed services? So it got me thinking. It, it got me really thinking because um, I suppose this is my, I, I did email the person back, but I guess this is my more elaborated um, official response. Uh, no. You shouldn't call yourself something else. Here's why. Even if you put aside three decades, longer than the MSP Alliance has been in existence, but for as long as the MSP Alliance has been in existence, 23 years, the issue of making managed services more of a household name and making MSPs more reputable and professional has been our mandate. It has been our, our why we get up in the morning and do what we do. It has been the request of, of thousands of members all over the world. That's what they've said for 23 years. And when we finally reach a position where MSP and managed services as terms as words that have meaning, means something of value. And I don't, I don't, separate from the issue of whether you should call yourself this, it would be difficult to deny that the terms MSP and managed services don't have a fairly widespread common understanding and recognition on the global market especially if you're in the tech sector, especially if you understand this. Now, if you are a MSP and you're dealing with a bunch of 21-year-old business owners or, you know, kind of millennials or Gen Z, I don't know, what, whatever's before millennial, Gen Z, Gen Zs, um, young, young kids, uh, they may not know what managed services are. They may not know a lot of things, but they may not know what managed services are is they may not know what MSP is but that's a separate issue there's always going to be people who come into the world and come into business and need to be educated on what MSP and managed services is all about as with any profession there's a learning curve but back to the fundamental question should you stop using the term MSP or should you stop using the term managed services as a description of what you do as a business. Well, let me ask you a question. What the hell else are you going to call yourself? Seriously. And, and, and don't say IT solution provider. Don't say that. Because is that descriptive of anything? Is a computer repair company is computer support or IT support, IT help desk, IT service support. 
let me guess. You want to call yourself a cybersecurity solution provider. Cybersecurity CSP. CSSP? I don't know. You're where I'm going, folks. Are any of those better descriptors of what you do? I would argue no. I would argue not only are they not better, I would argue they're worse, and I would argue that they're worse descriptors of what you do because what you do when you abandon, when you throw away the term MSP or managed services provider or IT managed services, any of those derivations, when you throw that away and walk away from that and move towards things like cyber, what you're doing, this is just my viewpoint, my opinion. You're taking a fairly well-established marketing high ground and you are slumming it with the rank and file down in the gutter, unwashed masses, Anybody and everybody is trafficking in cyber right now. And I am not telling you to not use cyber. But what I am saying to you is that before you throw away three decades of a pretty damned good professional reputation, think about what you're replacing it with. Because if you think replacing it with cyber is going to give you credibility, you are crazy out of your mind nuts. Yeah, that's, that's what I said. I'll say it again. You're out of your mind if you think that leaving behind MSP and managed services and embracing something like cybersecurity is going to make you credible and going to instantly describe what you do as a, I almost said MSP. You're not an MSP anymore, right? Under your conditions, you're a cybersecurity company. Are your chances better or worse if you do that? Think about that and think about it honestly. I've just given you my opinion. I've given you my opinion that, and I'm not saying that MSP and managed services are perfect. Nope. No term is perfect, but I've used this example, and I'll use it again here. Do you think that third-year law school students sit around and wonder, contemplating their pending graduation and how, how it's going to be like going into practice, to practice law, and they, and they think, you know, there's a lot of lawyers out there. Maybe we should stop calling ourselves lawyers and call us something else. You could rinse and repeat for any profession. You think the CPA community does that, thinks about that? Do you think engineers say, you know what? We've been using engineering for a couple hundred years. Maybe we should throw that away and come up with something entirely new that no one's ever thought about, nor do they associate with us. Same with medical. Same with whatever profession you're talking about. Words, even as imperfect as they are, if they describe de decently or better what you as a, as a professional body do, that's a damn good start. It's a good start for people trying to find you, right? 
is your job as a business owner something to think about when you're thinking about abandoning all MSP managed services uh, trappings? Is your job going to be easier or more difficult if you throw away all that stuff? How difficult or easy is it for your customers and new customers going to be to find you? Because after they get through the playing with the shiny brand new penny called cybersecurity, and they're going to get tired of it pretty quickly. And they figure out that not every cybersecurity consulting firm is the same. They're already finding that out now. When they find out that not every cybersecurity consulting firm is the same, nor do they even come close to doing anything comprehensive, not like that old MSP company we used to work with, but we threw away because you know we, we went to this new cybersecurity model because that's what we were told was the, was the new thing. How much business are you going to lose? How much will you tolerate losing because you made it more difficult for customers to find you? Now, folks, that's, that's my opinion. It's just my opinion. Um, and I've heard this argument before. If, if you're wondering whether my, my snap comments are you know, just bait to get you to listen and watch this. They're not. It's not the first time this question has been asked. I've, I've, I've told this story so many times. It was 2002, a fairly well-established, very reputable, compared to, to me at the time, like no, no, night and day, right? Like I was nobody in 2002, and this was a major analyst firm, and they called us up. I had the meeting with them and basically got told off that, you know what, managed services, that's about two years old. That's dot-com. Charlie, you're, you're, you're crazy. But might as well pack this thing in. It's not going anywhere. The name has moved on. And it, was, it, it wasn't a business model. It was partly a business model argument. Like They thought legitimately that managed services was not, um, was, had run its course and it was no longer relevant. Wonder where that person works today. Should probably find out. Hopefully, it's not in IT. But part of the argument was the name shifting away from managed services to something else. Um, it has never worked. I don't think it ever will work. We've occupied this ground for too long. It's good ground. The name means something. It's worth protecting. It's worth protecting more than it is, and it's easier to protect. Here, final closing thought on this topic. If you're concerned about the term MSP and managed services, it's far easier for you, for us as a profession, to protect that name and that brand then it will be for you to recreate the prestige, the professionalism, and everything else good that you've got going in managed services, to recreate that in an entirely new atmosphere and a new name. I'll give you 20 years. 
minimum to recreate that. Cybersecurity is not going to get it done. Not at all. Not even close. That industry is going to implode fast if they keep going at their current rate. My job, at least as of right now, is to make sure that managed services providers are nowhere near that implosion. But if you're wondering about abandoning MSP or managed services as a term, as a marketing concept, as a sales construct, think about what I've said. Think about what you'd even replace it with. And maybe spend a little bit more of your time differentiating yourself from the wannabe, the non-MSPs. And maybe that would be a better use of your time and energy and resources. And it might just get you a few extra customers along the way. Something to think about. Okay, finally. Whew. Master MSPs play a crucial role in certification. Um, what's a master MSP, you might be asking. Um, it's a term... It's a term that had a lot of usage uh, a long time ago. It doesn't really get used a lot anymore, but the business model, the concept is still very much alive today. So whether you call yourself an MS, master MSP or whether you think you know of an MS, master MSP, I'm going to go over what the definition is. I'm going to talk about the master MSP role in the supply chain. I'm going to talk about the unique relationship between master MSP and partner MSP, if that makes sense, and kind of tie it all together. Okay, so this all this came from a conversation that we just had with um, uh, an MSP that's actually been around for a while. I'm not going to tell you who it is. But they, they sell to other reactive providers and some smaller MSPs basically as a way to get them to come on to a more standardized managed services business model. And that you can understand that, right? There are some companies that really legitimately, especially on the break-fix side, who, who know that they need to be in managed services, but they just don't know how to do it. They, they know it. They need to do it. They don't, how to do it is, is, is the big issue. And so they don't want to fuss with it. And so they go and find a, a master MSP, and they say, look, can, can you just help me? Or I know my customers need managed services. I know they need it. I know I would benefit from it. But I don't know how to get from A to B. And could you help with that? And if it's a good master MSP, they can. They can legitimately help you with that. They can kind of force you into uh, you know, the, the corridor, if you will, of this is how you operate. This is how you sell. This is how you market. This is what you do. This is not what you do. You know, and it kind of it's guard, business model guardrails. Good way to think about it. You can operate within these confines. You can't really go beyond it because the master MSP won't allow it to happen. All right. I think that that's really good. Is it right for every MSP? No, absolutely not. There's a lot of MSPs who are as good as master MSPs. Some of them are better, right? There are different grades of master MSP out there, believe me. And this is not necessarily the same thing as a franchise, right? Very, very different things I'm talking about. I'm talking about a master MSP model where the service provider, the, the, the main service provider, is delivering a knock help desk centralized managed services delivery product that is delivered via 
the MSP partners who may do some element of the work. They may do billing, invoicing. They may do customer service. They may do level one help desk. They may do you know some of that triage work. Different models have different approaches, but hopefully that makes sense. I'm going to call the relationship between that MSP and the master MSP as, as a ESP. What, what's ESP mean, you might ask? External service provider. Who, whoever is outside of your organization but is delivering a critical component of your managed services supply chain, we call that in the, in the certification world, in the MSP lines, we call you ESPs or, or that vendor. You might think of them as a vendor. We call them an ESP because they're part of your supply chain. They deliver a component of what you deliver down to your customers, okay? This is not you reselling hardware or even a SaaS product and just behaving in a resale fashion, not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about this party, the ESP, is really critical in delivering a service. If you buy, I'll give you a good example. If you buy from your RMM vendor an EDR product, they would be an external service provider to you, the MSP. Why? Because that EDR service is is being baked into your maybe managed security offering that is then delivered downstream to a customer. The customer doesn't necessarily know the EDR details. They should. If they, they read your MSP Verify report, they would know. But that's, that's getting to the next question. How do you make that distinction between who's an ESP and who isn't? What if you have a master MSP relationship and how do you achieve compliance and certification if you're dealing with a master MSP? Well, there's some really good examples. Number one, the master MSP has its own certification. That's maybe ought to be step number one, you could argue, because if the EDR vendor has its own security certifications and audits and what have you, then that's easy for you to take those reports and now you've done your due diligence on that vendor because now you can say, all right, well, I know exactly how the EDR vendor does what it does and I can now incorporate that into my certification and then deliver that as a nice, tidy little package for my customer to read and say, this is exactly how you are delivered an EDR managed service. Makes sense. Makes sense, right? Yeah. Okay. Um, and I'm not just talking about, because you've seen how I just added RMM vendors or EDR vendors into this mix. I'm really talking about any external service provider who isn't a reseller relation to you. I'm talking about a true vendor, a true service delivery partner. They have elements of their controls, their policies, their procedures that are relevant to you, the MSP, and how you deliver your services to your customer. And you're going to be hearing a lot about that in the coming months because we're, we're going to be doing a series here. Um, I haven't really announced it yet, but now I'm announcing it that is going to walk you through 
our own certification efforts. Yeah, you heard it. The MSP Alliance is going through a certification and audit itself. We're going to be going and getting a Cloud Verify and a SOC 2. And that was decided a while ago, and we've been preparing for it, and we've been preparing for it using our Cyber Verify platform. And I thought, you know, this is ridiculously simple because um, I had doubts before we built the platform whether we could even do this. Um, I, I Actually, I knew we could do it, but I didn't know how difficult it would be. But now that we've got the platform, it's ridiculously simple. And so I thought it would be really helpful, maybe educational, for me to document our steps through the process of a of a of a of a not general a general audit, but like a SOC two and a cloud verify examination, and show you specifically, in, including among other things, how ESPs, how other providers down further down the uh, the supply chain river, if you want to look at it as a river. Um, how they impact us and how we rely on them, on those providers, and how we incorporate their controls into alongside our controls and deliver them downstream to our users, which would mostly be MSPs. And so this is going to be an exercise in um, us just showing you exactly what we're doing, show you how we do it, show you how simple it is if you know what you're doing and if you follow the, the right steps and really demystify the entire process. Because I know a lot of MSPs have been confused about external service providers, whether you call them master MSPs or not. I, I know that that's a confusing concept, and it is. It, 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 it was really confusing to me for a long time. Um, but if you, if you know how to look at it, and, and kind of remove the, uh, the jargon, remove the compliance, remove the auditor kind of terms that associate with that. And just m think of it as a supply chain, like a conveyor belt. That's how I think of it, a conveyor belt or a river or something where it's, it's products and services flowing downstream and different people along the banks of the river or along the sides of the conveyor belt are doing certain things to the product services so that by the time they get to the consumer of that service, they have a pleasant, favorable experience. That's what this whole thing is about, right? So whether you call it a, a master MSP, an external service provider, vendor management, vendor risk, whatever, by the way, things that are specifically called out in that SEC um, rule that they just announced, Right? That's why I brought that up in that sequence, because they're talking about master MSP, external service provider styles of accountability and transparency. So we'd better all be prepared for that, because it's coming, if not already here. So I hope that helped. Uh, I know that's kind of deep stuff to throw at you guys, but we're going to really try our best over the next um, several months to break this previously complex process down, make it simple, make it really easy to understand, and more importantly, very, very easy for you to replicate and to do on your own 
so that you can go and achieve whatever certification is necessary and matters most to your MSP practice. That's it, folks. If you have any questions, comments, I would love to hear from you. I mean, I think that that email from the member was fantastic. I love hearing that feedback. If, if you have thoughts about what I've said, you agree with it, you disagree with it, I don't care. Send us an email. Uh, MSPZone at MSPLiance.com is the email. And maybe we'll do a segment on your topic. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed today's episode, please give us a like. Make sure you are subscribed to the podcast so you will get notified when future episodes are released. We will see you next time in the MSP Zone.